Welcome to No More, Risk Better, a Credit Sites podcast. I'm Winnie Caesar, the Global Head of Strategy. And I'm Zach Griffiths, the Credit Sites Senior Investment Grade Strategist. As strategists, we aim to make sense of the macro and the micro, highlighting opportunities and the risks facing the fixed income markets. As important as the macro call may be, we understand that credit investing at its core comes down to keen single name selection, and we at Credit Sites benefit from the expertise of our team of over 100 analysts across the US, Europe, and Asia. This podcast offers a look at the conversations that we have with our analysts on a regular basis. If you are an investment professional focused on the wide universe of fixed income, you'll want to give this podcast a listen. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Credit Sites podcast. My name is Winnie Caesar. I'm the Global Head of Strategy here at Credit Sites. And today I am joined by Pat Luby, our Senior Municipal Strategist, also our resident expert on all things fund flows and ETF. But today we're going to be talking about the munis market and have an official fall 2023 munis outlook discussion. Pat, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, Winnie, thanks very much for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. I am too, because while I am a fixed income person, the muni market feels a little bit like a mystery to me. It just is so massive and fragmented, and there are so many, for lack of a better word, wonky technicals as it comes to the taxation implications. So I'm excited to have this chat. And before we get into your outlook for the fall, can we just have a quick update of how the muni market has done so far this year? Where do we stand? So year to date, the ICE muni index has earned a total return of negative 0.4. Munis is one of the wonky things is the typical muni has a 5% coupon on it. So the income component of the total return is always attractive, but the price return so far this year is negative 0.56% for the muni index. But slight outperformance versus government's excess return for the muni index is plus 0.10. New issue volume is down versus last year. But let's talk about sectors also. Top and bottom returns for sectors so far this year. Top returning sectors, industrial development revenue bonds, which is a fairly small sector. Tobacco settlement revenue bonds. Those are really a function of the cash flows from the tobacco sector. We don't really write too much about them. But municipal airport revenue bonds also in the top three returns. No surprise there, given the serious downdraft for passenger employments as a result of the pandemic. Traffic has come roaring back. Employments are on pace almost with the record year of 2019. So airports number three year to date. Bottom performers, single family mortgage revenue. No surprise there. Mortgage revenue bonds in the mini market have little convexity to them as yields rally. There's not a lot of performance from single family mortgage bonds. Power bonds and water and sewer bonds round out the bottom performers of the sector, not from credit concerns, but because of the safety and the quality of, of the issuers in those two sectors. Not a lot of yield, not a lot of appreciation in those sectors. I mentioned uh, year-to-date supply is down a little bit versus last year as well. Great. So if supply is down a little bit, performance has not been that great. I suspect that there might be a demand component playing into the performance this year. Munis are very sensitive to what's going on in treasuries. Ever since the change in the tax rates from the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, banks and insurance companies who formerly had been huge participants in the municipal market have simply not been involved. Individual investors with a higher tax bracket, they can afford to pay up and take a lower yield on tax exempts. 
So the media market is really dependent on direct and indirect demand from individual investors and individual investors and financial advisors who work with individual investors tend to be more reluctant to put money to work when interest rates are volatile than professional full-time portfolio managers are. And so this year's, you know, the volatility that we've seen in the market where Fed funds are and what the short end of the yield curve has done has tended to increase the level of concerns among investors so far this year. Even in the summer months, which over the last 10 years, May and July have been the best performing months of the of the calendar year. And that's due primarily to the surge in redemption money, but returns have really been lackluster this year. And that's really a function of that inconsistent level of demand. Yeah. I mean, the demand on the corporate side of things has been a little bit better, but it's still been choppy, especially as we've seen volatility in the market. And we have, fortunately, in the corporate market, that kind of backbone of non-US, which Muni's doesn't really have that sponsorship, and then also some mm-hmm. institutional support as well, which has been helpful, especially as long-end yields have risen. The Muni market also seems to have a good amount of duration. And so that sensitivity has continued to be a headwind, especially in the past few weeks. Absolutely. Individual investors very sensitive to declines in market values for their positions, especially mutual fund investors. And mutual fund flows so far this year, they are positive. But as of this week, we're recording this on September 14th, muni ETF flows now exceed uh, mutual fund flows. I do think that there has been some stealthy demand in the mini market. Mutual Total mutual fund flows are unimpressive, but year to date through the end of July, long-term funds had pulled in over 20 billion of net new money, uh, whereas short-term funds had lost 10 billion uh, of assets. So I do think that income-oriented investors are reacting to the higher yields and coming in, but mutual fund investors are especially fickle. They're very uncomfortable when they see declines in NAVs. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's most sensitive at the end of a quarter. So I think once we see, um, we'll talk about this more when we look ahead, but when we see the market become convinced that the Fed is done or close to being done, um, I think we'll see more mutual fund flows coming into the marketplace. Yeah, absolutely. We agree with that on the corporate side of things as well. And Pat, you've highlighted it a number of times most recently in our chart of the day, Prepper's Gonna Prep with the uh, money market funds and just the eye-popping amount of cash that is still on the sidelines. Do you have a sense, would you expect that some of that cash that is sitting on the sidelines in money market funds would ultimately come into the muni market? I do. And honestly, I think it's more than just the money on the sidelines. I get the sense that there's a lot of investors who are rolling short-term paper and who can blame them. The inversion at the short end of the curve, it's pretty enticing to just take three or six month or one year yields or should I go out to 13 years to get the same yield? So I think that there's a lot of very low duration investments in bond portfolios right now, that when the sentiment shifts, that money is probably going to seek longer duration. They may miss the boat. That would be one of my concerns about looking ahead. But I do think that it's not only money market funds, it's all the money that's sitting in low duration. So what are the signals that you're watching for in terms of kind of recognizing that that duration extension should begin. We on the corporate side have been recommending a barbell strategy. So saying, you know, the front end still looks great because of the curve inversion, but you don't want to miss the boat entirely. Yeah. And unfortunately, munis, the the wonkiness, right? The quirkiness of munis makes it so much more difficult than it is in corporates to execute a change in, in tactics. 
Whereas you could move pretty promptly, I think, in corporates because of the liquidity and the size of individual QSIPs out there, communities are so fractured. And if you want to sell something, you're exposed to bid ask spread that's much wider in munis and in corporates. And then reinvesting uh, in munis can be really, really difficult. Most institutional investors and a lot of retail, you know, like SMA managers, they really rely on the new issue market. It gets very crowded in the new issue market. So I think on the muni side of the credit portfolios, staying in a barbell portfolio to the bitter end, you're going to end up giving up future total returns, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So with the out, with the recent performance kind of recap, did you have anything else before we dive into our fall outlook? Yeah, I think where yields are right now, in income-oriented investors, if they look at current tax-exempt yields in a historical context, it's really uh, interesting. The 30-year BVAL AAA benchmark yield over the last dozen this year, so 2011 through yesterday, the 30-year benchmark yield has averaged 2.91. Right now it's at 391. The 10-year benchmark yield has averaged 201. It is now on top of the 30-year average at 291. And so over the last five to seven years, we've seen a lot of muni investors who have an income target. They have gone down in credit quality to hit their target, or they've gone out in duration to hit their target. Now they don't necessarily need to go out as far or go as low in quality because yields have come up. Of course, we're in a different inflationary environment. And so real yields needs to be part of the, the thought process about where on the curve you should be. That hasn't been the case for quite a while, but I think the run-up in yields should be getting attention from investors. And I think that's why we're seeing flows into long-term mutual funds uh, and flows out of short-term funds, because I think there are some investors reacting to that. It is important to note too, that um, relative to corporates, tax-exempt unis are are rich. They're simply not attractive. For those investors, I call them the 21 percenters. The banks and insurance companies that are paying the 21% federal income tax rate, they cannot justify buying tax-exempt yields at, at, at current levels relative to corporates. However, you know, we'll talk about this, you know, as we, you know, good segue into the fall. That relationship between tax exempts and corporate after-tax yields, it could change because munis are so dependent on demand direct and indirect demand from individual investors, if they step away or that demand is overwhelmed by supply, the relationship between munis and corporates can move pretty quickly. And if it moves quickly enough, fast enough, that new issues get priced cheap enough to be comparable to corporate after-tax yields, demand is enormous and it will come in very quickly and it will close, slam that window shut very, very quickly. So for those investors, for those credit sites clients who are credit portfolio managers, but don't necessarily focus on munis on a full-time basis, I would encourage them to make sure every Monday morning they're looking at section eight of our weekly muni catch-up. We compare tax-exempt yield curves versus the corporate after-tax yields and taxable muni after-tax yields. So you can see exactly where it is. And I promise you, if that window opens, we make a lot of noise about it because it does not stay open long. So, but you know, this is the season when that window could potentially open. I'm not saying it will, but it could because of what we're expecting for supply in the fall. So that is a great segue. What is your market outlook for the fall? Maybe we'll have a, a glimpse at those windows opening. Yeah. So net supply, which was negative in May, June, July, and August, 
So that's the amount of bonds maturing and getting called, subtracted from the new issue supply. Redemptions exceeded supply in May, June, July, and August in, in a big way. August, it was negative uh, 20 billion, I think. But it's going to be positive in September, October, November, and December based on our forecast for new issue volume and the amount of bonds that are already announced for redemption, you know, whether it's a maturity date or a, an early call. Muni, munis to treasuries right now are rich, and broker-dealers typically use treasuries to hedge their muni risk. Because munis are rich to, tr to treasuries, it makes it that much more difficult for dealers to hedge their, their positions. So it provides even greater incentive for dealers and underwriters to price bonds so that they promptly clear the market. So I'm looking for greater volatility in the fall. That means greater opportunity for investors who have been patient and have money to work. I'm never a big proponent of trying to time interest rates, but trying to time the supply cycle is kind of a tried and true approach in munis. And, and this is the season when it can make sense because we're going to shift into gears where we've got a positive net supply and that's going to change the market dynamic. Yeah. On the corporate side, we often see that rise in new issue supply in September and October. And there's a very strong seasonal pattern of, of spread widening in those fall months before everyone realizes, uh oh, I got to set up for the next year. And in December, <laughs> starts buying buying pretty aggressively again. So that's one of the reasons that we had shifted back down to a more neutral allocation, because we do think that there could be a little bit better entry point. And it seems like on the Munich side, the outlook is very similar. And the underwriters and the dealers, they have a different bogey that they're trying to beat than a portfolio manager who's looking at a benchmark and trying to outperform their benchmark. The dealers are trying to protect their P&L as they come into year end. And so they don't want difficult to hedge duration sitting on their balance sheet. Rates are high, so carrying inventory is expensive. Hedging is really difficult, really expensive. If you've got a, a positive P&L this year, underwriters, traders, they want to protect that. The clients are looking to set up some cheap exposure as we come into next year in a more constructive rates environment. It feels like the dealers kind of close the books earlier and earlier every year, you know, trying to just defend whatever trading gains they've taken for the year as soon as August or September. So is now a good time for muni investors to be putting cash to work or do we need to wait a little bit? I think it's prudent to be to be taking some cash off the sidelines, again, because of the lack of liquidity and the difficult of executing the muni market. A surge in new issue supply almost always draws investors in from the sidelines. So I think it's appropriate for investors to start thinking about doing that. The calendar is definitely building. We're seeing some billion dollar plus deals coming into the market. I think we'll see a lot of demand coming into the market, especially for those who are, as I mentioned before, who may be underweight duration or overweight cash, they're overweight reinvestment risk. And for income-oriented investors, that's a recipe for potential pain down the road. So I think there's definitely going to be an opportunity to put some money to work in here. We talked about the, the potential normalization of the curve. I think it's appropriate also to look beyond 10 years. There's a lot of investors who, through policy or whatever, draw a line at 10 years. So that part of the market gets very crowded. There's always very strong demand for every new issue inside of 10 years. That part of the market gets very crowded. But if you look at year-to-date supply, which is at $250 billion and change, just if you're only filling in the 10-year rung on ladder strategies, only 5% of the principal that's been issued so far this year has been due in 10 years. 
So if you're trying to fill that 10 year rung, you're competing with every other ladder strategy for just 5% of this year's new issue volume. That's not much to pick from and you're, it's going to be really crowded. If you're inside of 10 years, that's 42% of the market. But if you can stretch out to, you know, 15 years or so, that's an additional 13% of the par amount that has come to market so far this year. And if you look at the shape of the muni yield curve, it gets a little bit steeper beyond 10 years because of that crowded demand right there. There's a chart that we'll have in the Outlook report that looks at prospective total returns. And just for simplicity, we assume no change in yields. That's not my assumption, but just for the exhibit, assuming no change in yields, what's the prospective total returns, assuming you know 5% coupons and the AAA yield curve? One-year prospective total return in 10 years would be 394. But if you go to 13 years, the total return uh, a year out from now would be 498. So I think there's a lot of reason to extend beyond 10 years, greater selection, better perspective, better yields, and better perspective total returns. I was just going to jump in and say that makes a ton of sense. And when we've modeled out kind of a long end investment grade total return prospect, they look pretty juicy as well. If you kind of move beyond the belly of the curve and, and go into the long end. So similarly, if you are, you know, constructive on a potentially lower uh, inflation environment, it feels like a pretty good opportunity. Yeah. And of course, corporates, you know, come to market at par. So you've got interesting coupon opportunities, which are lacking in munis because two thirds of munis have a 5% coupon. But depending upon the month this year, threes have had outrageous performance. They've also had horrendous performance. Well, threes make up about four or 5% of the total par amount of the muni market. Four coupons, on the other hand, make up a lot more percentage of the total muni market. Now, to get a discount on a 4% muni, you've got to go a little bit longer, of course, than a three. But I like the idea of extending duration, getting a four coupon so you'd have greater selection going in. You're also going to have greater bid side appetite if you're not going to be holding that to maturity. If you're just looking for the convexity of the four, you want to ride it closer to par. I think you're going to see more bid side support coming out of a four than you would from a three. So I like the performance characteristics of the fours. I like local GOs. State GOs make a ton of sense. They should be a core holding for meeting portfolios, super liquid, but they're low yielding and they've got tight spreads. The exception right now would be California. Most non-California investors generally avoid Cal because it's too rich. And I think peak rich for California happened in August because there was enormous redemptions of California bonds from California issuers. The year to date, the spread for the 10-year BVAL uh, California GEO benchmark has averaged plus four to the national AAA. California State GEO came 10 days ago in 10 years at plus 24. The benchmark yield is now plus 14. It's the seventh largest economy in the world. There's an enormous and very deep demand for double exempt paper in California. So super liquid, especially if you're looking at a high quality issuer in California, there's going to be super strong secondary market uh, support for those excellent liquidity. For those who are not California investors, I think it's an opportunity to diversify into California. If you're underweight Cal or you're overweight in your home state, definitely think about Cal right now. It's not something that you can afford to do all year round, but I think it does make sense right now. That's great. And then I know that we are in college football season. 
and you've been very focused on college and university bonds. Anything to mention there? Yes. Well, I have a strong interest in D3 football personally have reasons for that, but we've also been looking at college and university bonds. We put out a lengthy in-depth look at college and university bonds. Sector's really interesting because the sector gets headlines all the time because of every family's got exposure to tuition and they know that the pain of inflation, what inflation has done to college and university tuitions. So there's an emotional reaction anytime there's a headline about college and university bonds. Everyone's familiar with the declining demographics of the number of students graduating from high school and going on to college. Every time there is a school that, you know, telegraphs that they're having challenges or difficulties or has to close, it draws disproportionate negative interest to the sector. So I think there's very wide negative sentiment about the sector, but the sector is actually very highly rated. The sector is more highly rated than the Muni index. There's a lot of name brand schools, there's public schools, there's private schools. Some of the larger and well-known schools have actually even issued corporate bonds. So there's a number of different ways, uh, a number of high quality issuers, both in the uh, tax exempt muni market, also taxable munis and also corporates. We, we go through all of those in the report after the end of the third quarter, we'll also have a short update out on the schools because we'll expect to have fall enrollment data, but we encourage investors to look beyond the negative headlines. There are some opportunities, good solid credit. And I will say University of Michigan, which issued a 100 year taxable muni at the beginning of last year, 1.2 billion in the tranche. This is the bond that I watch the trading activity to see is trading picking up because it's very high quality, taxable investors who are looking to add their duration to their portfolio. It's an easy to trade taxable muni name. People aren't buying it for the credit spread, they're buying it for the duration. And so I use that as the bellwether that I like to watch. When is the market turning risk on for duration? That's a great bellwether to watch. So if you can't construct a true muni portfolio with kind of the right bonds, given some of the issues around fragmentation in the market, let's say I wanna construct my fantasy college football muni portfolio and it's just not happening what what do you do muni etfs have become and honestly you know all fixed income etfs the large and the most liquid etfs in each of the sectors whether it's munis the ig corporate or the, the high yield corporate including a liquidity sleeve in a portfolio using the large very well traded etfs in that space makes a ton of sense it's easy to add a position the large liquid ETFs, it's not unusual to be able to execute a large block trade in between the bid and the ask. Try doing that in the in the cash market for munis for 10, 20, 50 million dollars. You'd have a really hard time doing that. You could do that with ETFs. So it's a great way to maintain tactical exposure in the market. It's easy to peel pieces off if you get allocations from a new deal that makes sense. That's becoming increasingly popular. There remain a lot of institutional investors who, by policy, are not allowed to use ETFs. So I, I know that there are SMA managers who are adjusting their policy to allow that. And there's some new strategies that are coming online that use ETFs, are very, very popular. ETFs are not exclusively retail. They're not exclusively institutional. And I like them because it's a great way to diversify the, the liquidity in a muni portfolio. I remain of the opinion that the greatest source of risk to investor principal in the municipal market is not from default risk, it's from illiquidity. 
And so how can you, how can you diversify liquidity? Well, you could use an ETF, which gets its liquidity on the exchange. Big fan of that. Excellent. And I'll put in a plug for all of your ETF monitors that you put out on a very regular basis. And we also have ETF monitors on the corporate credit side of things. So if you're wondering what exactly is out there in the world of Muni or corporate ETFs, we have that information for you. Pat, this has been a delight. Do you have anything else you want to add on the Muni side? No, if you're on the new website on the, the Muni page, there's a link to the ETF homepage, which is a good landing spot for all of the ETF reporting. We also have a new link to the Muni homepage that sorts through our key reports. And of course, we're here. Use Ask an Analyst or ping us anytime. We're happy to help. Great. Thank you so much, Pat. This was a really great conversation. I hope everyone enjoyed it. If you have any questions for me or Pat, feel free to reach out to us anytime. We're always happy to help. And good luck with college football slash muni issuance season. <laughs> Thanks, Winnie. Thanks, everybody. Credit sites disclaimer. All price references correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, or reproduced in whole or in part. Neither credit sites nor its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any information contained in this podcast. Credit Sites is not providing investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, is not providing research or making any recommendations, nor is Credit Sites offering or soliciting any transaction with respect to the purchase or sale of any security. The receipt by this listener of this podcast is not the giving of advice by Credit Sites or its affiliates.